In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Badgers continuing spring practice in Madison. Plenty of stuff to get to. Obviously, uh, we'll had a chance to chat with uh, the cornerbacks and the inside linebackers and the tight ends since the last time we did a show and also saw a couple of practices, including uh, on Saturday. Didn't see a ton of scrimmaging as they are dealing with uh, injuries and we haven't seen uh, too much full contact. But we did uh, learn a few things. But I wanted to start, Jesse, with uh, your conversation with John Settle, former running backs coach who now is at Kentucky. Uh, you had an opportunity to chat with him, get a get a reading as to why he left Wisconsin. It kind of probably caught some people off guard going from one of the best running back schools and running back jobs, I guess, in the country to Kentucky. And he explained his reasoning for it. What what did uh, what did he tell you? And again, if you haven't seen the article, you can read it up on uh, The Athletic. Yeah, I think that was when I initially saw that he left, like everyone else, it was a little jarring because it just didn't make much sense on the surface from a pure what coaching the talent at each school means, right? He's every year, Wisconsin produces some of the top running backs in the country or a lot of years. But the biggest factor when I talked to John was that he wanted an opportunity to be a coordinator in some capacity. So his official title at Kentucky is not only running backs coach, but he's a co-special teams coordinator. And he said he's, he's 55 years old. He's going to be 56 in June. And he really wanted a new opportunity. And he knew that wasn't going to be available at Wisconsin because he said he kind of cut his teeth as an NFL coach on special teams and hadn't had a chance to do it here. Chris Herring is a special teams coordinator and Joe Rudolph has been the run game coordinator. And so John really just wanted a coordinator role of any sort to expand his coaching repertoire and Kentucky offered him that opportunity. And and that was the biggest factor. And he said that he was surprised when he brought it to Paul Chris's attention that he was going to interview for this job or that Kentucky had expressed some interest that Paul said, well, that's, that's a lot closer to home because that was the other factor that John said. And I think it probably has more to do with the expanding of the coaching role, but he said that he's from North Carolina. He has family in the South and it's a six hour drive for the family to get to Kentucky, which is more doable than say a 14 hour drive up to Madison. So those were the primary factors in him deciding to go to Kentucky And he's also been an assistant coach at Wisconsin for about 12 years. Uh, This was his second stint here. He was there from 06 to 2010 and then came back when Paul was hired in 2015. So assistant coaches, I say this all the time, they generally don't stay assistant coaches in one spot forever. It's very rare. That's kind of how it works at the highest levels of college football. So that's, that's what John, that was his reasoning for going to Kentucky, but there was a lot more that he said that I'm sure we'll get into uh, about some of the personnel at Wisconsin because John is never one to hold back his thoughts, and that's why it's always enjoyable to talk to him. And it had been a while since I talked to him. I think you and I talked to him a couple of days before the Rose Bowl out at the media availability, and, and that's the last time I had a chance to talk to him until we, we spoke on the phone last week. Yeah, he is all, you're right. He's always good. Sometimes gets himself in trouble with that a little bit, but hey, we love it. The thing about his decision to, to move on, and I get the coordinator thing, could Wisconsin have kept him just by adding like uh, uh, that coordinator title? Like, I, you know, Joe Rudolph was not the run game coordinator before this year. He was the offensive coordinator. 
if they had kept him as the offensive coordinator and made John Settle the running game coordinator, would he have stayed? I wonder if he would. I that's hard to gauge, and and you know, that probably would have been a good question for him too. If it really was just a title or an opportunity to have an expanded coaching role, then maybe. I, I just I don't know. I don't know how much of it was the the fresh opportunity and the the family aspect of it because, like I said, when when John said he brought it to Paul's attention, the first thing Paul said was that that was a lot closer to to family, and then obviously that's something Wisconsin can't match geographically. So I, it's hard to say, but it would have been interesting to hear what types of conversations there were behind the scenes to try to keep him. Right. I mean, it, look, the, over the last two years now, you've, you've lost what four assistant coaches, obviously one for sure was a promotion with John Budmeyer becoming the offensive coordinator out at Colorado state. The others were lateral or moves that, um, you could say are down compared to what Wisconsin is. Why do you think there's been a little bit of uh, an increase in movements off the staff the last few years? I wonder how much of it has to do with what each guy is getting paid in the next stop. Not yeah. to say that Wisconsin doesn't pay its assistance because I don't want to rehash what Brett Bielema said a decade ago. I don't necessarily buy that as much, but the coaches you're referencing, Ted Gilmore going to Michigan State, um, an okay Brechter field earlier this offseason going to Vanderbilt and then settle and and Bud Meyer. I, it's, it's hard to say because everyone's motivation is a little bit different, but there is something to be said, I think, when you're an assistant for sometimes wanting a change. Those guys had been here, all of them, since since Paul was hired and he's been here for six years now. So I can't begrudge anybody for wanting a new opportunity, but you're right on the surface. Some of those positions you kind of go, ah, why did they do that? Again, it's not all about money. It's also not all about a run game coordinator title, you know what I mean? Or like a special teams coordinator title. He's not even the special teams coordinator. He's the co-special teams coordinator down there. Right. Correct? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. So, I mean, and it's not like, you know, Chris Herring obviously does run the special teams at Wisconsin, but it feels like, you know, we, we can see it on the field that, Mickey Turner's involved and, you know, Ted Gilmore was involved in the return. Like he was, he was the guy that oversaw the returners. Like it's these position coaches have a role in special teams too, even though they're not, that's not necessarily in their title. So either way, irrelevant at this point, he's gone, but he did. You're right. He did leave a few more uh, nuggets for us to chew on about the returning guys. And I'd like to start with Julius Davis because I feel like Julius Davis more so than any other guys, was kind of, I don't want to say in the doghouse with, with John Settle, but it, it didn't feel like he was going to get, you know, he got one carry last year. I'm assuming a lot of that had to do with himself and not doing what he needed to do, but you felt like getting a new position coach in there would help him a little bit. So obviously, his injuries issues uh, this spring have not allowed that to, you know, to see how that would play out. But what was John Settle's reasoning for not getting Julius Davis to Baltimore last year? You talk about the one carry that Julius got. I asked him that exactly, that he got one carry against Minnesota. It didn't come until after walk-on Brady Shipper was in the game. What happened? And John said that he was coming off the injury, which we knew. He had hernia surgery. That's been something that's been bothering him since high school. But what he said was that the recom- coming back, recovering from that injury, slowed his progress. And Settle said he wasn't in as great a shape as Shipper, who had an opportunity to work out more and knew the offense better. So that's sort of eye opening, (laughs) I think, 
but he did say that he thinks Julius is very talented. And, and if he can shake, shake the injury bug that he has a chance to get into the rotation because he's seen flashes of greatness and productivity. I think a lot of that happens like either on scout team or late in the season, last season or something like that. But he said, Julius has the whole package inside, outside. He can slash, he's got balance and vision. Um, However, he's not helping his cause because he's been hurt. And obviously that's not something that he wants to be going through, but they're bringing in three running backs this, this off season scholarship running backs in the 2021 class, loyal Crawford, uh, Jackson Aker and uh, Antoine Roberts. And I know we'll get into those three as well. But the thing that struck me when I asked John, why did you bring in three running backs? Did you legitimately think they were all at the time going to play the position? He said, almost like they were an insurance policy because Julius and Isaac Arendo have been battling injuries for a long time. And you start to go down the depth chart and say, what happens if those guys aren't available? So this is a huge season for Julius because I just feel like if it doesn't come together now, one or even two of those freshmen could pass them up and then it's going to be awfully difficult to get into the rotation. It is. And Julius did miss, uh, he, he wasn't suited up for every game, but he was suited up for a majority of them last year and just, did not get on the field. And it kind of felt like at times, like especially like the Iowa game, right? When uh, they're without Berger, they're without who else went down. Someone else uh, didn't play in that game. You know, they could have used Julius Davis. Instead, Brady Shipper got carries ahead of him. And it kind of made made you realize that, all right, now we know where he stands, at least in John Settle's mind. And you're right, he does have talent. But again, it's not a situation where we get to see it a lot because he's either hurt or uh, has not, impress the coaches enough to get uh, more opportunities. So he, like his comments on him were, were certainly interesting. Also met, talked about Jalen Berger and, and kind of what he rolled into last year and, you know, kind of being thrown into the mix. What, what stood out for you in regards to his comments about, you know, the guy that ended up leading them in rushing? Well, anybody who's watched a video of Jalen talk and, and all of us as reporters to cover the team know that he is not a big talker, doesn't say much, but Settle said that when Berger got here, he told him that he wanted to come in and contribute as a freshman. And Settle said, I'm more of the sort that uh, wants to wait and see what they actually do in practice, even though there have been freshman guys that have been All-Americans like a Jonathan Taylor. But he said that when Jalen got here, he was physical, he was big enough, he was put together, and he was able to retain the things that Settle taught him in practice. And of course, the way last season played out, it allowed him to get more opportunities he likes his football IQ and says that Wisconsin's going to be in good hands in the future with him at the helm. We saw all of that last season. I think he's going to be a much more versatile player the more he he knows the playbook because of his ability as a pass catcher. He's got speed and vision uh, as a runner, and we only saw glimpses of them throwing the ball to him out of the backfield, but that was something that he did exceptionally well in high school. So it was, yes, the circumstances – because so many guys were going down, but you know, Jalen also earned that opportunity and took that starting job away from Nakia Watson, which is why Nakia ultimately transferred and is now at Washington state. I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, in talking about Jalen Berger that he, he thought that he was, what did he say? He said, he said he, he got there. He was physical. He was big enough. He was put together. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I think there were <laughs> I don't know fully. I mean, look, I want to defer to settle when he comes to evaluating running backs. I, I still think he had a ways to go, particularly adding strength in the weight room. And that is the case for any freshman most of the time. Um, I think it was more some of the 
the, the speed and the vision and things like that. And that being physically ready will come over time. You know, he didn't carry more than 15 times last season, which I know we've discussed in, in any of the four games, oddly enough, he carried exactly 15 times in all four games. So to me being physically put together and, and having all those traits will ultimately allow him to carry more than that. Um, but again, I settle as a, a better evaluator of running back talent than I am. Yes, I think it's also noteworthy that when we talked to Gary Brown, Settle's replacement, he mentioned that uh, Berger reminded him of DeMarco Murray, yes. except for the fact that you know DeMarco Murray was a physical back and had a lot of strength, and Jalen needs to work on that. So, mm-hmm. guess it's just who, who you want to believe on that. I, I you know, looking ahead him, I, I would tend to side with Gary Brown, but you know, Settle also talked about the three incoming running backs that you mentioned. Of the three, which one do you think potentially could help right away? Because of yeah. these injuries, who could potentially help right away? Settle clearly loved Antoine Roberts and feel like, feels like that was a really big get for Wisconsin. And what he said was that they went out of state to get him and that he's probably further along in his development than Jackson and Loyal. So the other thing that he said was he thinks potentially, and I don't know if this has come to fru- will come to fruition, but that Jackson and Loyal could play other positions. They're all good athletes, he said. They can all play football on either side of the ball. But he does think they recruited them so they could have opportunities to play running back. It's not news to any of us that Jackson Aker could potentially play another position initially when the running back situation for next season looked a little bit different. I thought that he would play a different position, maybe fullback, because he is a big dude. He's a bigger guy. Although settle compared him to a PJ Hill type. Um, and certainly all three of these guys are going to get their chances given where things stand at running back right now. Uh, that was sort of the first time I'd heard that loyal Crawford could potentially play a different position coming from settle. I thought that was interesting, but to me it was that he feels like Antoine Roberts could be the, the best of the bunch right away. And based on what we've seen in practice and the, the lack of durability from both Julius and Isaac, Again, I really do think at least one of these guys is going to have an opportunity if they can pick things up quickly in fall camp because it's not like we haven't seen it before in recent history. Jalen Berger and and Jonathan Taylor are two guys that come to mind just in the last four years. Right. The injuries at, at the running back position in spring, Paul Chris was asked about it, you know, just the injuries in general and how it's impacting how they're going about their business this spring. Is it really a huge, like not having, we in this Saturday, it was, there was no Jalen Berger, there was no Julius Davis, there was no Brady Shipper, Isaac Grenda was out there, but not taking part in like full team drills. How much has this impacted their ability to get done what they wanted to this spring? You know, having to use, whether it's John Chenal, whether it's Quan Easterling, whether it's Jacob Hayroth for the first time that we saw on Saturday, how big of an impact has that been on, on spring ball so far? I think it's a pretty big deal, number one, for the development of the guys that they just absolutely need to see to learn more about them. And in terms of getting things done, Saturday, and Chris acknowledged this, it was not a typical Saturday practice. A a lot of times during the spring, a Saturday might be a day where you get more scrimmage opportunities in. They didn't even go for two hours. And you do have to wonder how much of that comes down to not having a true running back. I mean, I'm sure there are more factors than that, but the three scholarship guys that they have are all guys that they need to see more out of. We mentioned Julius Davis has one career carry. Um, Isaac Arendo played in one game last season and then dealt with a hamstring injury. And and Jalen Berger only played in four games last season. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Chris said, first of all, he was very high on what Brady Shipper had done and Shipper did not practice 
that was the first practice that we had seen that was open to us where he didn't practice. So none of the four guys listed on the spring practice roster at running back at the start of the spring were available. But he also said that their plan coming in was to get John Chanel more carry opportunities. Um, obviously, the team starting fullback, but somebody that has the most experience in the among the guys that are running backs and fullbacks. So he's lined up a lot at running back. And same with Quan Easterling, which I know on the last show, I talked about how impressive he was just from a versatility standpoint. But look, when you've got to add Jacob Hayroth, who was on the team before and is now back just to have enough bodies, I mean, that's not an ideal situation at a position that is supposed to be the position at Wisconsin. If it's not offensive line, it's running back. And they just, I asked Paul, how do you evaluate this? Or, or how does Gary Brown evaluate this? Because he was hired five days before spring practice started. So he's still learning his personnel and he can't even watch any of them. And he said that it is a challenge. And obviously Gary is a good coach. That's why he hired him, but it's basically been relegated to work in the meetings and you can only do so much there. So I think it's been a significant development just because there's, absolutely nobody available right now almost yeah you know where there have been guys available from for at least a, n- a number of the practices that we've seen and that is at one point they were down but now they're back and it's the wide receiver spot where it looked like on saturday that they had essentially all the guys that have a potential to play this fall danny davis was back kendrick Pryor was there obviously jack dunn and chimray dk and aj abbott and devin chandler who continues to just make play after play, uh, had one of the bigger plays of spring, not spring, of the practice, you know, on a deep ball that was a little underthrown, came back, made a jump, caught it, took off, probably, you know, I don't know if he would have got tackled there by the cornerback. Either way, he took off, could have been a touchdown. It feels like he makes a flash play almost every practice that we've seen. Yeah, he does. That one went for about 40 yards, and we could hear him screaming as he went down the field afterward, and obviously all of his teammates – Really loved that one. It just highlighted the special big playability that he has. And last Saturday, he had the play of the day then. He caught a 69-yard touchdown pass from Chase Wolf. So there's some explosiveness there. And Paul Chris talked about it after practice on Saturday that they've they've sort of stretched him a little bit thin at, at times early in, in spring practices because they want him to learn different things. And we know he was the kick returner last year. He's been doing some punt return work but that he feels like now they're trying to hone in more on the wide receiver aspect. And that's been very valuable. My big question is how many reps is he actually going to get next season? That's the one thing about spring practice that can be difficult to gauge. And you're right. It maybe it makes a difference when everybody is healthy, but I go back to the first spring when Aaron Cruikshank was here and, and you and I saw that when he was just dominating people down the field, but most of the regular rotation receivers weren't healthy enough to participate and Aaron barely played at the position the next season. So it doesn't always work out like that. And the other thing is we know there are four guys who got reps last season and, and have in their career that are going to be in the two deep, presumably if you include Jack Dunn, but you mentioned Pryor and Davis, they're going to, they're going to be the top targets, Chimray DK too. And then maybe potentially AJ Abbott and at Wisconsin, uh, there's not a lot of opportunities for the number five and certainly number six guy. So I think that's something to watch. And I go back to the 2019 season when Quintez Cephas and AJ Taylor were here. It was those two, it was Davison Pryor. And then Jack Dunn was basically the number five receiver that year. He caught five passes for 41 yards. So, I mean, that's, that's something to pay attention to. And Alvis Witt had acknowledged that too. When we talked to him that in a perfect world, he'd love to play them all, but he also realizes that Wisconsin has a, a multiple offense. That's going to use the running backs a lot and the tight ends, and with an all-Big Ten tight end like Jake Ferguson, that doesn't leave a lot of opportunities for 
the four or five or six guy. But having said that, yes, Devin Chandler has been really impressive and I think a player to watch in the future. No doubt. We got the chance to talk with Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor for the first time since fall camp last year, I think. Because obviously we didn't get to hear with them from them after their injuries. Uh, but Danny Davis talked this week and talked about the concussion that he suffered against Michigan. And it kept him out the rest of the year. Now, he was back on the field a couple of different um, uh, before the Indiana game warming up, but then did not uh, and end up playing. And he said he had uh, some setbacks throughout his return from from that concussion. And, um, you know, it, it kind of felt like he was just playing it extremely safe, which I think makes complete sense. Yeah, he he even referenced the what people have learned about CTE. And if you rush things back, he didn't want to overdo it and then worsen the injury. And I can't fault him if, if he ultimately was the one who decided he wasn't ready to go, especially considering that he knew he would have this extra year of eligibility. So what was really the point in rushing it back? And I think that's obviously a big part of why he came back. And the same with Kendrick Pryor. Kendrick played in three games last season. Danny played in two, and they were supposed to be the dynamic big play threats. It was supposed to be their big breakout year, and it never materialized. And this is something we knew was coming because when we talked to Joe Rudolph a couple of weeks before the bowl game, even then he said, based on his conversations that he'd had with the two that he expected them to come back. So it wasn't a, a huge surprise that they did, but yeah, I think it, obviously it, it provides a, a different dynamic for the offense and Witt had talked about how those two can take the top off of coverages. And it's going to be very interesting to see what, what does this offense actually look like with a full complement of players? We saw it for a brief moment against Illinois, which granted isn't, a very good team in the Big Ten, but still, that Wisconsin team looked like a Big Ten title contender. And so if you've got everybody back with Davis and Pryor, these guys feel like they have a chance to be special. And, you know, when you see all the guys coming back, I think that's believable. What did Alvis Witted say about what they missed without them on the field last year? Well, he talked about the fact that they're the big play guys that can, like I said, take take the top off the coverage. And I think that was one thing that stands out and he talked about how much respect those guys command because they've played so much. So, I mean, those are, those are a couple things. And he said, they're different. They, they add a different dimension and the key is just being consistent and not being hurt because both those guys have missed time early in spring practice too. So I think those are obvious things. You look at the numbers and they've, they've combined for 166 catches, 2013 yards and 16 touchdowns. Yeah, very quietly, Danny Davis is having a, a potential finish in the top 10 of all the major receiving categories at Wisconsin. So now some of that may be longevity, but when you contribute as early as he did, you're going you're gonna to start putting up some numbers. Him and Jake Ferguson both uh, put themselves both in the top 10 in those categories, and, and uh, certainly with Ferguson, who did not practice on Saturday. Uh, he's dealing with an arm injury, but they have the weapons to get it done, right? I mean, they have the weapons to be an explosive offense. When they say they could be explosive, I believe them because they have. We, we have seen it with some of those guys. Well, that's what I was getting at before is that like you hear stuff like this every year and players are going to say it, but I believe it too. Look, look at the two games that Danny actually played in. He caught that 53-yard touchdown before halftime against Illinois, and then he just crushed Michigan on those jet sweep runs. He had seven carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. Then he didn't play again. So those are the types of things that we're missing later on in the season. Pryor can do some of that stuff. We've seen how successful he's been on jet sweep runs. And when you add in Chimray DK with another year with actual help 
from veteran guys when he doesn't have to be the number one option. And potentially, like we said, an A.J. Abbott, a Devin Chandler, and we know what Jack Dunn's going to provide. That's a lot in a wide receiving core, but you've got an all-Big Ten tight end with Jake Ferguson. You've got Graham Mertz back, healthy, who looks much more accurate this spring, as we've discussed, and four starting offensive linemen, so returning starters at least. So, uh, yes, I think the pieces are in place to be much better offensively and, and to do some damage. The, the problem is the running back spot, which is not something we say most years. If Jalen Berger is healthy, that's obviously the, the number one key, but who's, who do you use after that? And so, oddly enough, that's the one, the biggest question mark that I have as, as uh, you know, fall camp is just a few months away. It's something that should never be a question in Wisconsin. No. I agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, it should never – that should never be a question. And currently it is because of injury. But they have to deal with it. And, again, it's it's not like these guys are not going to be available come fall. We saw Jalen Berger running uh, yesterday out on, on the field. He obviously not suited up, but was uh, doing some running in, in his work to try and get back on the field, perhaps maybe for the last three practices. I – I, I imagine maybe they'll hold him out. I don't know. But the other side of the ball, we saw, you know, a couple of just insane, not insane, uh, uh, one insane catch, but a couple of other really, really good plays uh, from the secondary. The first one I, I mentioned, you know, the insane catch, Dean Ingram down the field, perfect coverage on a deep ball and then laid out for it and, and uh, picked it off. It was, I think, at least in my mind, if not, you know, one of the top plays of spring on defense, perhaps the top play, just because of how much he had to reach for that one. But and then there's Preston Zachman at safety, who had to, is moving to safety from inside linebacker, has gotten a ton of reps this year. Or I should say this spring due to some injuries on that back end of those two guys. Which one stood out to you more on Saturday between Dean Ingram and Preston Zachman? Yeah. Well, from a pure highlight reel play, it's it's Ingram. I, I'm I'm interested in Preston Zachman because this is new. He he was an inside linebacker last year. He was one of the only guys that they actually switched positions with at the start of the spring, and he just seems to have picked it up really seamlessly. And obviously, we're, you know, we don't know all the coaching points and the intricate details that he has to learn at the position. But he did pick off a, a, a Mertz pass on Saturday, and that one went right into his arms because Mertz overthrew Danny Davis over the middle. But he played good coverage in some red zone work, broke up a pass. And he had a nice pass breakup in the first practice we saw. I think the unique thing about him, and a lot of these guys that come to a program like Wisconsin, they played multiple positions in high school, but he was everywhere. He was the team's starting quarterback as a high school senior out in Pennsylvania. He played on a team that only had one loss all of his four years. And when he was a senior, he scored touchdowns in five different ways. He had a passing touchdown, rushing, receiving, interception, fumble return. And the thing when I asked Paul about it after after practice on Saturday, why did why did you move him and what do you like about him was that he was a quarterback and that he showed some toughness in high school and that he was the type of player that they bring in and they just figure out the position later, which we see the staff do a lot. And they feel like they found something in the secondary. And he's gotten more opportunities also because some guys have been hurt. Trevian, Blaylock, Titus Toller. So we know who the, the starters are with Colin Wilder and Scott Nelson. And I think Blaylock and, and Toller would be second team guys, but John Torchio potentially too. But there's not a lot of safeties on the roster. And I think he's somebody to watch because he continues to make big plays. Having said that, I do think it's interesting what, what's happening with the cornerbacks uh, as well. What do you mean by that? Well, just the fact that there's no more Rashad Wild Goose. They last year Wisconsin played in the nickel 68% of its defensive snaps, uh, and the Big Ten average was 59%. So 
they play nickel more than most teams. And, and Jim Leonard even acknowledged it. He said, we played about 70% last season in the nickel. And that means having three corners on the field is essential. So we know that fan Hicks and Caesar Williams are the top two guys. And it's been a battle for who can be that next guy. And, and it's been, at least in the spring, Dean Ingram and Alexander Smith, and they've been rotating those guys in the slot and in the outside on the outside. And I think both of them are going to play. And it's worth noting that. So Deron Harrell hasn't really practiced from what we've seen. Samar Melvin just came back first practice that we saw him in was Saturday. Um, And so those are a couple of guys who I think would compete for time, but those two guys, Ingram and Smith have earned a lot of, of praise and Hank Poteet, the new cornerbacks coach, had a lot of good things to say about them and he believes they're ready. So I think those are two guys that have taken advantage of spring as much as anybody on the roster. All right. So of the two practices, I mean, obviously we've mentioned several guys that have stood out. Anybody that we haven't mentioned that, that caught your eye. That is a very good question. (laughs) I think it's interesting just to see, I mean, you, you pointed out like on Saturday, some of the offensive line combinations, mostly with the second team offense, but Joe Rudolph loves to move those guys around. And to see the the combinations that he had, like with Trey Wedig at guard, was just interesting because Paul Christ has described him and and Jack Nelson too as prototypical tackles when they came in. They're six seven, but just imagining those guys as guards, even though Jack Nelson it appears could be the starting right guard next season, I think that stuff's interesting. Um, but I think we pretty much touched on the the big plays. I, I think it's worth noting last Saturday, so two Saturdays two Saturdays ago, one of the stars was Chimre DK. He could not be stopped. He had five touchdowns by my count in either seven on seven skeleton drills or team 11 on 11 work. And he's clearly taken another step. He's people have praised his intelligence since, you know, even before last season, but just the athleticism and the the versatility has has been really impressive. Yeah. That whole red zone part, I I, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, it was obviously it was seven on seven, it was seven on seven and, and then also some teamwork, but that red zone period for Wisconsin's offense was insane. As you mentioned, five touchdowns for Chimre, but you know, also Chase Wolf. Yeah. Dropping was, dimes. Yes. Was absolutely on fire. So was Mertz. One of Chimre's touchdowns was just a, a ridiculous throw from Mertz to the corner. But I thought, you know, Chase, that may have been as good as Chase Wolf has looked in, in in a practice that we've seen. Yeah. He had and you know, again, we're talking about red zone work where it's seven on seven. So you know, understand that it's not exactly the replicating a game like scenario, but he came in and he had a five play stretch in the red zone skeleton drills and he threw four touchdown passes and all of them were just perfect bullets. There was a, he had an 18 yarder to Jack Dunn over the middle, a 16 yarder to Chim Ray over the middle and a 10 yarder to Kendrick Pryor. And then another four yarder to Chim Ray who made a nice catch in traffic. And I mean, Chase is capable of doing that. We we know that. And the, the other dynamic that he brings is, is with his legs for him. And he has acknowledged this multiple times. It's the decision-making. He only threw eight passes last year and two of them were interceptions because he tried to force something down the field because he just wanted to make a big play since he knew he was only going to be in for a handful of snaps. And that, that is the critical element of any quarterback is you have to be able to trust them to take care of the football. And that's something that Chase continues to work on. Um, But I think, having him as an option as a backup and potentially to come in like he did last year for a package of plays is a good thing for Wisconsin. I guess we should probably touch on Graham Mertz, right? Why not? Yeah, I, you know, I, I obviously last Saturday, I thought he was, he was really good. Wasn't as good this past Saturday, but 
have you seen growth from him in the spring? Have you seen a little bit of a different Graham Mertz this spring than, than what we saw the last time he was in a game? I feel like I have. I mean, I, the accuracy has been very good. And yes, we should acknowledge quarterbacks can't be hit. So it's not like a, a true game-like situation. But him being healthy, some of those throws are just, they're absolutely perfect in the right spot. They're everything we believe Graham could be. And Saturday wasn't his best practice. It was, he was not sharp, you know, had the interception where he, he threw over Danny. He misfired on a couple passes to Danny. I remember one was behind him and one just out of his reach down the field, but I still feel like he makes the right read and the smart decision. I mean, there was a play in the red zone, for example, that stood out where they brought a blitz and he read it perfectly and just dropped off a six yard touchdown pass. It was just perfectly red. And he's had a couple other throws that were on the money. So these, these guys, they're trying different things in the spring. And so sometimes a read that doesn't work out, we may see it as the quarterback made a bad play and it could be any number of things. It could be, there was a miscommunication, the receiver ran the wrong route, all that. But I do think Graham looks more accurate. He's always had the confidence. And the one thing that he said that he really wanted to work on this off season was his footwork. And Paul Chris says that he feels like Graham has improved in that area as well. Just how he comes out of his drop, all the, the little details that make you a better quarterback. I also liked what we saw where, you know, he, there was a read option where he, he kept it. And, you know, I don't think you think of Graham Mertz as being that, that quarterback, but he fooled the defense. And, uh, you know, that was just another smart decision, I thought. Jim Ray DK is still open. Probably, but fun to watch, <laughs> fun to watch Graham fool out the, uh, the defense and, and get a first down. Yes. So uh, Wisconsin has three practices left. We are expecting to be able to see all three of them. But we'll see how that goes. We will obviously recap that and, and uh, put a bow on spring next week. But I want, before we get done, I wanted to mention a few things or uh, ask you about a few things. Uh, rule changes coming to college football this fall, specifically the overtime rule. It used to be you get to the overtime, and once you hit the third overtime, you had to go for two. That now moves up to the second overtime. Like as soon as, If you get to the second overtime, that's when you start having to go for two. And if it reaches a third overtime, teams will run alternating two-point plays instead of starting another drive at the opponent's 25-yard line. That used to be in the fifth overtime period. What do you think? It feels gimmicky to me. And I understand these guys are completely exhausted and you want to get the game over with. And it makes more sense to me to move up the running the two-point conversion after a score in the second overtime. The other thing reminds me of with baseball putting a guy on second base in overtime and way back when... uh, the MLS, they used to do this thing where for penalty shootouts, they, they would like the player would take the ball at midfield and then have to dribble up and score. And they would have a sh- essentially a shot clock of a few seconds. And it was just, I mean, I guess you could say the same for penalty kicks, but at least those happen in a game, just making up stuff as you go along to try to get the game over with. If, it, it will bring excitement, but it does feel a little bit gimmicky to me. It does. I think also that, you know, they, they want to get the game done, but it, you're right. Other sports have done this too, right? Like just to try and figure out a way to speed it up. What is, what is hockey? I think hockey is like three on three for overtime and at some point in overtime. That's I, I, I probably shouldn't throw that out there, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. If it's not, I apologize. But yeah, they, I mean, it's, it's a change that is probably needed. You don't want to be sitting there for five hours watching football. Uh, they're, they're trying to cut down the time that games are taking. It, it, it is what it is. The other... So some points of emphasis. There's some other, you know, some other rule changes, but the point, point of emphasis that I think is just 
probably going to come back to bite a team somewhere, somehow. Point of emphasis will be for officials to penalize any taunting action directed toward an opponent. So stop having fun. Stop getting in each other's faces. And if you don't, a 15-yard penalty is coming. And I guarantee you, at some point this fall, it's going to cost a team mightily. Because you know you know these points of emphasis. kind of like the, the hand-checking in basketball back in the day, like, that's a point of emphasis not to allow it. And it gets out of, it gets, you know, the penalties and the, or the fouls in that situation just get out of control. It's like when the NFL took away the ability to celebrate touchdowns and then they became known as the no fun league, but then they brought it back. Yeah. So I, it's not exactly the same. I, I know sportsmanship and all that, but like, let them have some fun, man. You know, it's an emotional game. And after a big play, you want to celebrate, you want to let the other dude know that you just beat him and you want, you're going to beat him the next time too. And, and, that's part of the back and forth of athletics competition. And I, I just hope we don't see exactly what you're describing, but I fear that that's probably something that's going to happen and ultimately determine the outcome of a game. You could say that if you're a coach or if you're a player, you should know better because the rules are in place at the start of the season, but let them have some fun. This is a quote from the NCAA. It says committee members think these actions reflect poorly on the game and can lead to unnecessary confrontations. It's football. Yeah. You want to take away hitting? The other thing I think probably could potentially be noteworthy this season, coaches should not enter the field of play or leave the team area to debate officiating decisions. Those who do so will have committed an automatic unsportsmanlike conduct foul. We know coaches, maybe not Paul Christ, but other coaches spend a heck of a lot of time on the field and yelling at officials. And I feel like that's another one that's going to pop up and someone, I'm not pointing fingers to the, potentially the Northwest of us, but I I feel like that could potentially come back to haunt a coach or two. I'll be interested to see how that kind of rule is enforced. I think of in basketball, you know, they have these coaches boxes for, for the the coaches and they're, I see them quite often, not in those areas, instructing players. And you don't see technicals being thrown out at least as far as I can remember deciding games. And maybe it'll be a little bit different in football, but uh, I don't know. This is a lot more rules than than I feel like are necessary. I'm not. I, I mean, this is this isn't a new rule or anything. Like it's it's a point of emphasis. It's just enforcement of it. Yes. So yeah. I, I think again, what you're doing is you're going to potentially have a, a situation where an official is being told to <laughs> crack down on this stuff, and it could potentially hit somebody, uh, hit a team hard. I don't know. I. I I'm, guess I'm okay with that one more so than I certainly am with the with the taunting. Like the the coach being halfway out to the numbers, or you know, I mean, there there were there have been coaches at Wisconsin that would do that. Paul Christ isn't as much that guy, but there's certainly other coaches around the country that spend a heck of a lot of time on the field, and I guess uh, trying to get them off makes sense. But the other thing that uh, potentially will change this fall is preseason camp because of an NCAA study. It's like a five-year concussion study. It was released earlier this year. The Football Oversight Committee will be making uh, recommendations to significantly change what fall camp looks like. Specifically, only eight full padded uh, going. You can only have eight practices of full pads. Before it was twenty-one. You cannot do any collision exercises. The most noteworthy, I should say, is the the Oklahoma drill, which Wisconsin doesn't do. They do a thing called the Badger drill, which is just guys lining up across from each other and slamming into them and, and trying to push one way or the other. And then also limit, you can only have two scrimmages and that's uh, that's down from three and a half. So I think, you know, this spring, not being able to 
pad up this spring, and now you're going to have a situation, or I should say pad up for Wisconsin because the injuries, and you don't see as many padded practices, and now you're going to have this cut down this fall likely. Uh, you know, I wonder if it's going to potentially change what we see on the field and whether it's going to impact the product on the field. I think it is substantial. Ultimately, I'm on board with at least some of this. I mean, some of it sounds really drastic, but a lot of times by the time the season starts even – the injury reports are piling up. You know, in, in years past, we've gotten an injury report whenever a practice was opened for reporters. And every time we would show up, more and more names were added to the list. And so if some of these changes help avoid a handful of those injuries and you have more healthy bodies for the start of the season, I mean, ultimately, I, I think that's most important. But in terms of the, the product on the field and the quality of play, having some of less opportunities to play in the way that you're actually going to on a game day, it could have an impact. But I will say that everybody is going to be going through these rule changes. So it's not like on, only one team is at a significant disadvantage. I mean, I'll be very interested to see what it looks like in the fall, but how many guys may be healthier once the season starts. It'll be interesting to see how it affects it. I don't know. It'll be huge, but I, I think it's certainly a, I mean, 21 to eight. Yeah, that's that is a huge reduction in the number of padded practices you can have. And so we'll see how Wisconsin deals with it when fall camp gets going. They have three more practices here this spring. And again, as I said before, we'll be back next week to talk about those three and and wrap up spring. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to this. uh, You've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.